All right, guys, it's time for the next level guy show. A men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. Today's guest is Rick Ells. Rick has had an eclectic career as a musician, audio engineer, visual designer, programmer, and software entrepreneur. Somewhere along the line, he discovered jiu-jitsu and became obsessed with his fascinating and transformative art. Rick would go on to earn a black belt under legendary instructor Roy Dean, and he currently runs Third Way Jiu-Jitsu in Wyoming. In this interview, we discuss how to train as an older athlete, why everyone needs to train Brazilian jiu-jitsu, how to adapt BJJ as you age to become a more perfective practitioner, and so much more. Hope you enjoy this one. Now let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on, Rick. You, um, I found your site a few uh, weeks ago, and I absolutely loved your stuff. It was a breath of fresh air. It was jiu-jitsu for me, of how it should be done. I actually found you by typing in how to do jiu-jitsu for fat guys, and it <laughs> blew me. I was struggling. I couldn't do all these fancy things that everybody kept talking about. That was the staple, the headquarter positions, all these sort of things. And I thought there must be jujitsu for older people and understanding of how to teach it better. And when I found your stuff, I was blown away. Mm-hmm. But for people who maybe a bit, you know, don't know your name, could you go into a little bit who you are, the amazing sort of tutelage you've had and why you're going to be in it, like a legend in the sport? Well, I, I appreciate it, and it's my pleasure to be here today. Um, I discovered jujitsu way too late in life. I was 42 years old, and I actually had wanted to do jujitsu when I saw UFC 1, and I remember vividly um, seeing it and seeing Hoist Gracie beat everybody, and I thought, wow, I need to learn this. But in those days, as you know, jujitsu academies were few and far between, And I was also busy. I was working as a recording engineer and a sound designer in Los Angeles. And I was just, I was busy. I was working a lot, very unpredictable hours, lots of nights. So I just didn't have a lot of time to train. Uh, Certainly not uh, enough time to travel to the Gracie Academy down in Torrance or or something like that. So I put it on hold. I did a little bit of Japanese jujitsu. There was a, a small academy near my house. And, um, and that was great. It was a good experience. I learned lots of wrist locks and, you know, there was a lot of judo influence. And so I did that for, uh, kind of sporadically for a few years. And then, um, my family ended up moving to central Oregon. We moved to Bend, Oregon. And, uh, this is about 10 years later. I was 41, I think. And, um, I heard that there were some guys that were training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at a Taekwondo Academy on Thursday nights. So I dropped in, had my first class and it was so informal. I mean, it was all white belts. Nobody really knew, knew much of anything. Uh, There was uh, actually, there were two blue belts 
um, a guy named Marty, and then uh, another guy named Jimmy. Now, Jimmy would end up being the connection to Roy Dean. Uh, Jimmy was friends with Roy Dean, and he had trained in San Diego with Roy. And so it was mostly just a guy, a bunch of guys that would show up and smash each other. And um, I remember just loving it instantly. I knew nothing uh, and uh, other than it was very visceral and it was very different than, than what I was doing in my other life. Um, later, Roy Dean ended up moving up to Bend, Oregon. He came up to do a, a seminar. He was still a brown belt. And... Uh, he taught the seminar and he and I hit it off. He was working as a sound designer in Los Angeles or in San Diego. I had been a sound designer and an audio engineer in Los Angeles. So we had all these things in common. And he said that he was looking uh, for a place to establish an academy. And, and Jimmy and I begged him to move to Central Oregon. And so a few months later, he did. And Jimmy and I were his very first students uh, on the day he opened his academy. Uh, so I would go on to train directly under Roy for about four years, uh, white through purple belt. I, I had just gotten my purple belt, uh, and then uh, we ended up moving to Maui. So I was working uh, as a software developer, and my laptop was literally my business, so we could live anywhere, and, um, and we were doing pretty well in those days. So my wife said, hey, let's, let's move to Hawaii. So we moved to Maui for a year. I trained under Luis Heredia who is, uh, was Hicks and Gracie's first black belt. Uh, in fact, Hickson brought him to the United States uh, when Luis was a purple belt to uh, be his uh, assistant instructor. Um, and then later, uh, we, you know, we continued to being, being nomadic. And you know, a few years later, I ended up in Maine. And along the way, I had trained under, under a number of different, different people. I, I trained under Alexi Cruz, who was Ricardo de la Hiva's first black belt. I trained under a guy named Jay Jack, who is an Amal Easton black belt, amazing guy, just crushing, crushing, brutal game. And, um, and then more recently, a few years ago, we moved to Wyoming and there was no jujitsu in Wyoming. And so I had one of those existential crises. I, I, I said, okay, do I need to open an academy? Maybe I should open an academy. And I, I was going back and forth. I didn't know whether I wanted to be the man. <laughs> and uh, we were driving, we visited, we were here uh, looking at this, uh, you know, looking at the environment and we we're driving downtown and there was a for lease sign in a little space. And my wife elbowed me and she said, there you go. There's your academy. Can we move here now? <laughs> so we, we ended up moving to Wyoming. Uh, I was still a brown belt. I, I started uh, my little school. And uh, I've since gotten my black belt under Roy. And uh, yeah, that's my, that's my jujitsu journey in a nutshell. I love that, that you had a, such a supportive partner that's like, okay, then there, there's your space. <laughs> get, on, like, you know, st get, your, get your dreams. Because that's something a lot of people struggle with, isn't it? It's like these older grapplers is, how do I do this with family? How do I do this with all my other interests? And I mean, I started jujitsu when I was 35, 36, and yeah. I thought I was late. Yeah. But to, to to see what you've achieved in that time, when I watch your jiu-jitsu, it's so graceful, it's beautiful, it flows. And it's like jiu-jitsu, how I think it should be done. You know, it's controlling a person, it's moving them and uh, controlling them. It's not just being flashy for the sake of flashy. I mean, you've got some amazing transitions and, you know, flows and movement patterns, but you're not just doing it to be fancy. You're doing it yeah. because it's actionable and when i found your stuff i was blown away because 
I didn't realize I learned so much from just watching your first video, um, you know, for the older grappler. But why would you like if we take it right back? Why would you say people should do jujitsu as an older athlete compared to like karate jujitsu? You know, what is the appeal of jujitsu for an older grappler? Or athlete, shall we say? Well, that's a that's a very deep question. Um, you know, I think that you can separate martial arts into two broad categories. There are what I call live arts, and there are dead arts. Uh, dead arts are those arts where they don't spar, and you simply uh, are training patterns. Person punches you, you block, you do this and that. Um, but without resistance, without actually pitting your skill against somebody, you're not really training for effectiveness. You're simply training um, sort of a choreographed type of martial art. So if you focus on the live arts, well, we, we know which ones those are. If you watch UFC or, or MMA, you know that they're some form of striking, kickboxing, um, you know, full contact karate. Kick, uh, Western boxing, Muay Thai, uh, some sort of grappling art, whether it's wrestling, uh, uh, sambo, jujitsu. Obviously, the you know jujitsu is mandatory these days for in, in an MMA context, and uh, or and also judo is a I would call a grappling a grappling art. So the problem as an older athlete is you you know it's very difficult to get punched in the face. It's just not. Uh, an art that you can grow old gracefully in or you can have a lot of longevity in. I would say the same thing is true of wrestling. There's a there's an intensity to wrestling, uh, physicality to it that I think is very difficult to, mm -hmm. to maintain as you get older. So that really leaves, and, and judo it can be very hard on the body as well. It can be, um, you have to be very aggressive to get into position, to rotate into position, to lift your opponent. And uh, so judo is hard to grow old doing. Some people do, of course. And so that sort of leaves jujitsu as the, the last man standing. And I, I think that jujitsu is an art that you can adapt to your physical reality as you get older. And it's an art that you can be effective at despite your physical limitations. There are a lot of ways to play jujitsu. And the style of jujitsu that I play uh, which has been heavily influenced by Roy Dean. It was heavily influenced by his instructor, Roy Harris, who, uh, you know, Roy is a phenomenal, phenomenal jujitsu artist. He's not a flexible guy. He's not a fast guy. He's, you know, but he's fundamentally so solid. And so the style of jujitsu that I've tried to learn and develop and um, train is one that doesn't rely on strength, speed, athleticism, uh, physical attributes. It relies more on timing and sensitivity and pre-positioning your, pre yourself uh, with structures that are, um, you know, give you a mechanical advantage over your training partner. And so I think it's very possible for you as an older athlete to train jiu-jitsu. Elio Gracie was on the mat into his 90s and, and he wasn't doing barambolos and, you know, doing crazy stuff. Um, so I think it's possible, but I think it's very important that you train the right way and that you have training partners and that you're in an environment that allows you to train in a way that's safe and that, 
um, you know, doesn't expose you to, to injury unnecessarily as you get older. Because that was something I really kind of struggled initially with, with jiu-jitsu was when I came in, I mean, I didn't, ex- I don't consider myself as old. I still feel like I'm 18. And I came in after doing powerlifting and playing football and thinking, oh, yeah, I've got this. And then all these like 20-year-olds sitting there with six packs and walking up and down the mats in their hands and all this kind of like amazing stuff. And I was like, ah, God, I'm in trouble here. And I started following the Gracie Barra style. And I, I mean, there is a lot of good stuff in it. You know, they don't do leg locks and things like that, which it's kind of difficult when you see it in a lot of competitions. But something I struggled with was this isn't my style. It seemed to be designed a lot for a younger, thinner, smaller person, the faster, mobile. And then I started going around, you know, YouTube and looking for someone that could do it for six foot plus that wasn't mobile, wasn't thing. And I started finding like Chewy, Alec Baldwin, who kind of had opened up these avenues. And that's why I really liked your stuff was you're catering to the older grappler, but as well as everybody else, you're teaching them how it can be done. But how would you start, like say you've got a new student coming in, what would you say to them to start developing jiu-jitsu for the older athlete? How should we change or should everybody come into jiu-jitsu with an open mind and just take it as it is? What, what accommodations would uh, should an, uh, an older grappler do to transition better into jiu-jitsu in your opinion? Um, you know, I think... As a teacher, it's really important to be able to scan the room and see what the physical capability of your students are. If you're in a in an environment where everyone is a super athlete, then you know you can certainly uh, train a, a little different style. But you know, in most academies where there's a mixed skill room, you have a, you know a variety of ages. People come from all walks of life. I think that as a teacher, you have to really be careful to teach the kind of stuff that can work for just about anybody. And so, you know, what my pursuit, and it continues to be my pursuit as I get older, is how can I do as little as possible and continue to be effective? I can't match the speed and the intensity and the the output of a younger athlete. So what can I do to slow them down what can I do to position myself in ways that give me give me advantages? And that's been sort of the holy grail that I've been I've I've been looking for. Um, and a lot of it is just understanding how the human body works, understanding where the major points of control are, understanding how to deny your opponents the ability to move the way that they would like to move freely and um, kind of lock them down. I I think to be effective as you get older, you have to be able to lock people down so that you don't have to match speed for speed. And, and that's a complex, that's a complex thing to do because it's very dynamic. People are moving and they're moving very dynamically. How do you deny people the ability to move? And so that's, that's what my focus is Uh, as a teacher. That's what my focus is as a student of jujitsu is how can I you know, take this challenge, this dynamic challenge and slow the challenge down, um, deny the challenge from being able to execute their game plan and, you know, being able to prevent all the things that can go wrong. You know, we learn 
in jujitsu, there's, you know, there's 30 different ways to pass the guard and there's 30 different ways to get out of side control. And there's, and I think there's a, a tendency for people to become technique collectors. Uh, and to a certain extent you have to, because you need solutions for the problems you face on the mat. But if you abstract all that to the more fundamental concepts that you're trying to achieve, right? Because all guard passing involves uh, trying to get past the knee line and getting control of the hips. I mean, that's essentially the the goal in, in guard passing. Well, maybe, you know, if we can abstract that out, we can, we can say, okay, well, I don't need 20 guard passes. What I need to do is deny their ability to move their hips. How can I do that? And, and so, um, you know, that's, that's sort of how I look at jujitsu. It's, it's, it's less about, you know, imposing my athletic will against another athlete. It's more about how can I, you know, use, uh, you know, technique and timing and, and, and elements that don't require me to be as fast or, or be as explosive. Cause that was something I struggled with was I was trying to sort of emulate other people and I would just sort of collect the techniques and I wouldn't really understand how to transition from one to the other. And then I found out about pressure passing um, through Stefan Keston. And I was like, Oh, this is amazing. This is just designed for me. And then I started looking at other sort of things, you know, I looked at like Rob Bernanke when he was teaching about, you know, how the different concepts of jiu-jitsu. I found out from Kit Dale how there's only like three main components in a sweep. You know, if you take away the post, the balance and a leverage point to sweep right. them from, right. you don't need to know every sweep. You just need to know those points. And that blew me away. But I think that's the thing though, isn't it? As we go in and you're only taught a scissor sweep, you're taught uh, like Kimura a lot of times you're not taught the chains and I really liked your, like your YouTube videos and art skill where you kind of broke it down into movement pathways and yeah. you know, why you would do the scissor sweep into the armbar, why you would do the hip bump into the Kimura. And it kind of started clicking a lot more and I could see where I, I would have loved that when I was, yeah, when I'm a blue belt now. And even now, I only feel now I'm starting to, understand how little I truly know about jiu-jitsu yeah. I'm good at certain things and I'm terrible at others but you you could do a great video on efficiency yeah. and that's something I think a lot of older grapplers have to be to avoid burning out so how do we avoid being you know fighting with strength and power and intensity and instead being an efficient grappler be a grappler that can lock people down control them and you know to play your own game not just hold on like so many older grapplers seem to think they have to. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it takes a long time. Jiu-Jitsu is a complicated art and it, it just takes years, honestly, to have enough tools that you can operate more efficiently. So I, I always talk about windows of opportunity. I talk to my students about this. They're constantly windows of opportunity that are opening and they close. Um, you know, window of opportunity opens and as a, as a white belt, you say, oh, look at that. The arm is out of position. Maybe I can swivel in for the, the arm bar and boom, the, the window closed before you were able to execute. So at first, it's just having a degree of recognition that there's a pathway there. Um, the next level is being able to recognize that earlier as that window is opening or as it, you know, uh, 
or at the apex of the window where it's fully open, hasn't closed yet, and then being able to swivel into position or execute the technique you want. Um, and even then, sometimes you miss it or, it or it closes or your opponent is able to react. Eventually, you get very sensitive to the opening of those windows. And at the highest levels, you get good at prompting those windows to open. And you do that by playing with people's balance. You know, you, it's, uh, you have several things in mind and you're, you're not committed to that first attack. That first attack is a probe. It's really the next attack that you want. Um, the higher level players leave very small windows. So you have to be able to operate within very small windows of opportunity. Um, novice players, they leave massive windows, right? So as an older athlete, part of that efficiency is getting to where you have very, very good recognition of those windows of opportunity. And it's a feel thing. It's not a mental process. At first it is, but there's that saying in, in fighting sports, if you're thinking you're late, um, your you're, you have to train your body to feel those moments. You, you, you talked about sweeping a moment ago. I, I don't, most of the time when I sweep people and I sweep people all the time, most of the time I'm not really executing any particular sweep. I'm just mm -hmm. feeling that moment when their balance is a little bit compromised. Oh, I think I can just shift my hips under them and I can sweep them. Right. And you talk about the post, you have to eliminate the post. So a lot of times it's just the, the, the recognition that there's a moment there, there's a window of opportunity there. If I can just deny their post and if I can swivel under them or scoot under them. And so as an older athlete, you have to get to that point where you can operate on an efficient level. And that just takes a long time until you get to that point. You have to really suppress the ego. The biggest challenge in jujitsu is always the suppression of the ego. You walk in, we're all competitive by nature. We all want to get the tap. In a lot of ways, you measure your progress in jujitsu based on whether you got the tap or whether you didn't get the tap. If you're not getting the tap, you're not progressing in jujitsu, right? That's at least that's what we tell ourselves. And so as an older athlete, you have to accept that you're not going to be as effective as you would be if you're the younger version of yourself, because you're not going to be as quick. Your timing is not going to be as, you know, uh, things aren't, aren't going to be happening as, as fast. Um, so you have to be willing to just be less effective. I'm less effective. I'm a black belt, and yet I am less effective than I would be. I'm in my mid-50s now. I'm less effective than if I was 25. I mean, that's just the reality. And so you have to suppress the ego. You have to be okay with the fact that sometimes you don't get the tap. There are nights, you know, even with my big, strong blue belts, it might I, you know, the, we're doing a six minute round, maybe minute five. Finally, I've got something set up that maybe I can hit and then the clock runs out. So sometimes there's just not time and you have to accept that as an older athlete, you're not going to get the tap as, as uh, frequently as, or as, as decisively as maybe you would if you're younger. And you just have to be okay with that. You have to uh, also constantly monitor yourself for safety and you know, white belts are the most dangerous people on the mats. And, you know, a lot of it is because you don't know when you're in danger. You don't, you know. Um, and so over time, as you train, you get an intuitive sense for when you're in danger. And, you know, oh, my knee's a little compromised there. I need to shift a little bit. And so th there's all these tools that you have to acquire in order to be able to do jujitsu at an efficient level. 
the bad news is you just have to put in a lot of mat time to get to that point. Um, along the way, however, you have to keep the ego in check. You can't just, you know, match the speed athleticism. It's okay to take a round off, you know, on nights I'll, I'll roll once I'll take a round off. I'll roll again. I'll take it round off. I, I know my limit, you know, it's also understanding what your recovery is as an older athlete. Um, if, if uh, at the academy where you train, they're sparring 10 rounds in a given night and you're in your 40s, you know, 10 rounds is a lot. It, you're not going to be able to, oh, yes. you're not going to be able to recover very fast if you do a full 10 rounds that night. So maybe you do five and then you're fine in a couple of days and you can come back to class and you do five again. And so I think it, it, you just have to develop a deeper sense of your own capability and a willingness to not measure your progress in terms of getting the tap or only measure the progress really in terms of yourself. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're only in competition with ourself. And, um, you know, if, if your training partners are progressing a little faster or th than you are as an older athlete, that's, that's fine. You, you just have to be okay with all of that. So how would you, deal with like say say just now like we're in scotland so we're under a lockdown so we've had no training basically since march um and i mean i'm going back i'm raring to go i've watched videos and instructionals i'm really excited about it but for those people who are maybe coming to jiu-jitsu and thinking yeah this i'm gonna give this a go when we're allowed to train again how should you know how should a, a practitioner come do you think to avoid to remove the ego is it a case of just going in being completely open, tapping early, listening to your body, you know, and, you know, just having fun with it. Do you think, is that the best kind of approach that kind of I'm going in here with a, a growth mindset to learn yeah. or should an older practitioner kind of think, okay, I'm going to go two classes and build from there. Because I tried that, you know, going five nights a week with a, I've got a younger mate who come well, let's go and do a training class. Let's go and do some extra training. And it just, knuckered me after a week or two yeah. and you know you sort of pick up the little signs like you know maybe your house gets messy or you're really groggy when you wake up and your body's not healing up but what's the what would you say is the best approach for an older athlete who's starting jiu-jitsu or somebody who's coming back to it after lockdown to really amplify their training because the I was watching your demos and you your stuff is amazing and I would love to do that sort of stuff but how do I go from quarantine to the Rick Ellis jiu-jitsu <laughs> well every sport has a physical adaptation that cannot be achieved without doing the sport um, and we see it and you you see it you you see these you know very fit new you know these athletes will walk in the door for their first class and maybe they're crossfitters or maybe they're whatever and they they're objectively very fit and yet they all gas out. So, so there's a physical adaptation there. So, um, and so I think it's very important as an older athlete to don't rush that physical adaptation, come to class, take it slow, take it easy, tap early, tap off and, you know, be okay with, with the journey. Um, but I think that the question is why, the, each person has to answer the question of why do they do jujitsu? And I think fundamentally 
you need to do jujitsu because it's good for you and because it's fun uh, and because it's, you know, it's, it's a good workout. Um, you need to not do jujitsu because your goal is to tap everybody in the room. That's, that's a, that's a poor goal. I think the best goal is to embrace jujitsu simply because it's a fun activity that makes you better and to do it uh, at a pace that your body can, can recover adequately. Um, you know, people try to conquer the world in six months and, and you end up either injured or, or you end up burnt, burnt out. And for each person, that equation is going to be a little different. I, I have this, what I call the triangle of, um, the triangle of energy. It's a little mental map that I've been, I've been working on. And so it's this triangle and on, on one point you have frequency, uh, and then you have volume and then you have intensity. So frequency has, is how often you train. Volume is how much you trained in that one session. And, uh, intensity is how hard you pushed in that training session. So frequency, volume, intensity. The reality is you can only have two of those things at best. In other words, if you want to train frequently, meaning let's say four days a week, five days a week, and you want to put in a high volume of training, meaning you want to spar every round, you need to keep the intensity incredibly low. Or let's say you don't care about frequency, you're, you know, you're only going to train one day a week. So that's low frequency. Well, that means your volume can be high and your intensity can be high. Or let's say you want a lot of frequency, but, and you like to really hammer when you train, well, you're going to have to keep the volume low. You're maybe only going to be able to spar four rounds. So it's those sorts of things that you have to think about as an older athlete and you have to find that, that balance that allows sufficient recovery and that allows you to, you know, continue to move forward. And for each person, that equation is going to be a little bit different. I love that. I mean, that's a brilliant piece of advice. It's, you know, you have to make substitutions. You can't have it all compared to what you maybe did 20 years ago, but have you found particularly great methods of recovery? You know, I mean, I would go home sometimes and I'd wake up the next day feeling like I hit, got hit by a bus, but then I've still got to my full-time job. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you get the text, oh, do you fancy coming to Nogi tonight? And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but how do you, have you found things? I mean, I've tried like the foam roller, hot baths, skipping a night here and there, but I mean, I try not to if I can, but I run the podcast as well. And other people have kids, people have like other commitments. Yeah. How do we kind of, you know, is there an effective, like, I don't want to say older person all the time, but I mean, is there something, a, a good method that you found for older athletes to recover easier? Is it, you know, better food, supplements, you know, it, is there any accessories that work? I mean, I used to level a, level, um, a lacrosse ball on the shoulder from tight rotator cuff. Yeah. But, you know, any tools you found that really work? I mean, all those things are good. Um, plenty of sleep, plenty of sleep, um, and good nutrition are the foundation for, for every athletic endeavor. Um, honestly, the, the thing that I've found that is the, the most critical piece of advice that I could give you is warm up slow, right? When you're 20, you can jump into a sparring session 
fast and furious, 100%. And it doesn't matter. When you're older, if you go really hard that first round or that second round, or sometimes even that third round, if you hammer very hard, you're going to be very, very sore the next day. You need to give your joints and your body time to warm up. And so I, I used to have a, um, a 1971 um, Chevy pickup truck that I bought. I was going to restore it. And um, it was all original. It was very old. It had a hundred and some thousand miles. And, and uh, so I always imagined myself being this old Chevy. That, that Chevy always started up. In the dead of winter, I could start it. But sometimes it would take a little bit to get started. And it ran really rough at first until it was warmed up. If I took it slow with that truck, by the time it was warmed up, it ran fine, even, even as an older, older vehicle. So I always imagined myself as that old truck. And I walk in, I'm looking at this room full of killers and I'm thinking, okay, no, I got to pick the easiest guy in the room. Who's the most flowy person in this room? You let's go, let's flow. And you know that there are those people that you can, it's sort of like a nuclear proliferation treaty. You say, okay, let's go easy. And that lasts about 30 seconds and you're starting to scale up. And before you know, it, you're trying to tear each other's heads off. So you have to be able to find those guys in the room that you know you can you can go a little slow. And that first round's a throwaway round. The second round's a throwaway round. Third round's a throwaway round. And then you start implementing your game. And if there's, and if there's no one in, in class that is that guy that you can flow with, just be passive. A lot of nights I'm looking at the room and it's all the big tough guys. I will simply be passive. My, my only goal will be to do very little and to try to prevent being tapped just by doing a little, very little until I'm warmed up. And I've found that to me is the key. Um, you know, Roy Dean says, says uh, the same thing too. He says, man, as, as he's gotten older, that, that war- getting your body really warm is the, is the key to not being as sore the next day. And how do you keep that sort of mental resilience? Because, I mean, I watched your demos. Your The one from Brown to Black Belt was phenomenal. You have such a level of heart. You know, at the very end when you're going, is that it? You know, and you're wanting more from it. <laughs> it's it's such an inspirational piece, um, like, of, of footage. And, I mean, I obviously have links to it in the show notes. But, for you know, how do we build that level of resilience to keep going? You know, even if you're getting smashed or if you're tiring, if your body's a bit, you know, you're a bit sore that day, how do we keep that voice out of our heads that says, nah, just take a night off or, you know, oh, go and jump on the couch with the missus and watch a film or, mm-hmm. you know, how do we keep training? How do we keep positive? How have you found to work your mental toughness? Yeah, it's, I I tend to be a little obsessive by nature. And when I get into things, I tend to get really into them. So, you know, people ask me about motivation and I don't know that I'm the best person to answer that question because I've never struggled with motivation Mm -hmm. when I find things that I, that I like to do. Um, But I think it's finding the style that works for you. Yeah, I think you know, it goes back to not hammering so hard every night that you're perpetually thrashed because then it's very easy to come up with an excuse not to train. Oh, my shoulder's hurting tonight. Mm -hmm. And then, then you don't train. So you have to find a pace that allows you to train at a frequency that you want. Um, so that you don't have those excuses not to train. But I will say that, you know, when you watch that demo, for example, 
you can't train that way all the time. That was the culmination of a three month training camp where I was, I put in a very high volume of sparring. I was, you know, running, I was doing strength and conditioning. I was doing, you know, a lot of work so that I could give myself the best opportunity on that day to, to stay in it mentally and to not break mentally. But you can't train that way all the time. You, you have to be able to sharpen that sword periodically. And sometimes it's through competition. Sometimes it's through knowing you're going to get promoted or it's some external motivator. Um, because sometimes you have to push yourself. You have to know you have to know that you can go there mentally. You have to know that, you know, let's say it's a self-defense situation. You've been attacked. How do you know? How do you know if you're, if you're going to break mentally or not break mentally? Well, the way you do it is that you put yourself in situations where you're forced to push through, through barriers. Um, but you can't train that way all the time, especially if you're older, because you're going to break down, you're going to, you know, you're going to get, get injured. So I would say for day in and day out training, what's more important is a high frequency of training and low intensity of training. Um, moderate volume, I, as, an, as an older athlete, I, I preach high frequency, moderate volume, low intensity. That's how you train week in and week out. And then a couple times a year, you say, oh, I'm going to go to grappling industries or I'm going to go to fight to win and compete or, or whatever. And, and you say, okay, I'm going to give myself a 60-day training camp. And then you scale it up. Um, you do the event and then you scale it way back. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. That's good because that's something I'm definitely wanting to do. Um, I mean, I used to self-sabotage a lot. I would always kind of make excuses or, you know, suddenly I'm getting an injury or whatever. And I, I mean, I've done 101 episodes of this podcast. I've never done something to that length of time. Mm. And I did the jiu-jitsu. And I usually give up things when they would get tough. And I ended up fighting to get my blue belt. And I was like, I'm loving this. I want to go on. But for people like me who who have got that self-sabotage gene, you know, that thing, the jealousy of the younger guys or they struggle, <laughs> is, that the strong, is that the best thing to do, to go and compete, do you think? Do you think we need to... Like, how do we fight that demons? Because I still don't truly believe I'm good enough in jiu-jitsu to deserve my blue belt at times. How do you kind of start getting that self-belief in yourself that I've seen some people transform into like legends of guys because of the belief they have in themselves and they seem to love jiu-jitsu, but then it becomes part of them. I haven't found that happen. I don't know if it's, I don't know even if you can answer that question. Is it like a personal journey? But jiu-jitsu gives you like the rites of passage that we seem to be missing in life. But how do we find that inner confidence, do you think? Well, it, to not feel worthy of your belt is extremely common. I wouldn't worry about that. 
Um, usually what happens though is you don't feel worthy of the belt in the early stages of that belt. But over time, as you, let's say you get closer to purple belt, you're going to feel very, very comfortable as a blue belt. Hmm. Um, in fact, you'll probably feel too comfortable as a blue belt. And then someone will say, okay, it's time to test for your purple belt. And then that cycle starts again. You're, oh my God, I'm not, you know, and then, you know, you feel like the biggest imposter on the, that first day when you walk in and strap on that new belt. But that's an important part of it because if you're too comfortable in your belt, there's never that impetus to really push yourself and get to that next level. Um, and, you know, having to defend the new belt against the guys that were maybe you were, you know, they weren't coming at you as hard before. I mean, there's, you know, having that um, target on your back is an important part. Um, as far as personal confidence, I, you know, I, I mean, some people are, are more naturally confident than others. I, absolutely. But I think some of that, there, there, there can be kind of a quiet confidence, which is that you're, you, you understand where you're at, where your jujitsu level is, and, um, and you're able to assess yourself with, you know, in a realistic way against that. Um, you know, there are some incredibly tough competitors out there, and it, it's good to compete once in a while. But if you measure yourself against whether you won on any given day, then that's just not, not a good measuring stick. So I, I think you develop confidence as you uh, are comfortable at your belt level. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's what really helped me was forgetting about the other person. I mean, I, re I initially I struggled with it. And then I started thinking, no, I, I'm, you know, I do deserve this belt. And, the, yeah. I, and then I started to go in and as I started trying to incorporate moves I'd seen on YouTube or trying different styles and, you know, like having a, and just having fun with it. What yeah. a difference it made. Yeah. And now, I mean, I've got, I just got my um, tab on the blue belt and then I ended up going out with uh, cellulitis of the leg and I was like devastated. And then we're now in coronavirus, yeah. but for people who are coming back after an injury, because I mean, I love that bit in the documentary where you showed like you'd had hyperextensions, you had like you damaged ribs, you know, it was like a, a who's who of, of injuries. But how did you come back from that? I mean, I love that the, you just seem to come, you go, yeah, brilliant back on the mat. You know, you brought rebroken your nose back into shape by rolling with a blue belt, you know, <laughs> I'm just like, who does this? But for people who are coming out of coronavirus, you know, say they've been locked out for six months and they can't train or people come back from injury. How did you, how should you get over that initial fear? You know, what should we be doing while we're recuperating to make sure we can come back and be as happy in jujitsu, yeah. be as effective maybe? Well, you, you, anytime you're injured, you go through the stages of grief. And, and then finally you're, you know, you reach acceptance and you, you're starting to get better. Um, I, a friend of mine who's a purple belt now, he blew his knee out and needed surgery. And I remember when that happened, this a couple of years ago, he called me right after it happened and he, he was down in the dumps and he said, I'm quitting. I'm, I'm done with jujitsu. I'm quitting. And, um, 
I didn't try to talk him out of that. I just, I, because I knew he was in the early stages of grief. Uh, in fact, I, I did the same thing when I, so I, um, I blew a disc out in my back. This is about six years ago. I had surgery to knock me out for about a year. I came back from that. And within six months, I tore my rotator cuff and I needed surgery. And I remember calling Roy Dean and, and I said, I think I'm done, dude. I'm done. It, this is, this is it. And, and Roy did the same thing with me. He said, Hey, it's all good, man. You, you had a good run. It's, it's all good <laughs> because that's, that's all you can do in that moment mm-hmm. is just be supportive of the person because you know that they're in the stages of grief. And so I had my rotator cuff surgery. It was recovery was very painful and, but it's a funny thing, you know, a few months go by and my shoulder's starting to feel good again. And then you start looking at YouTube videos of jujitsu. And before you know it, you start getting that itch again. So, um, I, I, I think you just have to, well, it starts with, I think a, a deep love of something. If you, if you deeply love jujitsu, even if you get derailed and even if in the moment you're just, you think you're done, then I, I, I think that at some point you're going to get that itch to train again. And then you just have to take it slow. You'll never fully trust that, you know, that surgical, that surgically repaired body part or that injury. You're, you're not, not going to fully trust it for a little while. And so you just have to take it slow. I mean, something that really helped me was like, I've, I mean, I'm itching to get back. I can't wait because yeah. I've been watching so many instructional videos, but something really helped was like looking at the friendships you built yeah. by doing it look at the difference of you physically but also who you were when you first started to who you are now and i can't believe the transformation in myself yeah. and i see people who i train with and go like I, it's amazing the difference in their confidence and stuff and i think you once you gild that kind of brotherhood that family feeling yeah it's an amazing thing when you train with your son um you've had him involved with your demos and stuff like that how have you found that working as like with your son, you know, doing jujitsu, how has it changed you as a person to have that and to share that kind of gift with him, but also to start your own school? How have you found you've developed as a person? Well, it's amazing when you have a child and, and they like the same things you do. So my, my wife jokes that um, she says, what's it like to have a mini me? <laughs> because he's, <laughs> He's obsessive like I am. He's, you know, we're, we're very, very similar. And so, uh, and, and really he's my best friend. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, we're, we're so close. That relationship um, does come out in your videos. You can see the love and like the strong bond between you there. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's amazing. And, and he's great at jujitsu. He's, he's about to test for his purple belt and he's so technical and he does things that are so amazing. And honestly, I can, I can, I can still tap him because I'm bigger and stronger than him, but he, he's, he's an amazing uh, jujitsu guy. Um, and, and so it's, it's great to be able to share that with, with your family because then you have shared interests. If you're the only person in your family that has a particular interest, then, you know, it's you going off to do that thing. Uh, my, my daughter trains jujitsu as well. She doesn't train quite as much, um, uh, but she's very good too. And so it's just to have that in the family is an amazing thing. But, but you, you talked about the friendships and the bonding that happens. So, you know, when you, in any relationship, there's normally a bonding process and normally it takes a while, but 
there's something about that shared struggle in jujitsu from the minute you bump someone's fist and you spar with them that first time, you're best friends with that person because you've shared this intense experience. And all of my best friends are people that I've met on the jujitsu mat and they become lifelong friends. I've got people that I've trained with, you know, that I trained with years ago that I haven't seen in, in many, many years. And, um, you know, you, you reconnect with them and it's, you're still best friends because of that, that shared experience. And that's one of the great benefits of jujitsu is that the friendships that you establish on the mat truly become lifelong friends. I would definitely say that I would agree with that because I've made what I actually feel are like real deep connections with people. And we go play five side football, we go for pints together and stuff like that. And there's that camaraderie, but you generally feel like when you walk in, everybody's pleased to see you. You know, it actually becomes, we have a guy who's talked about being suicidal. He tried to take his own life and he actually felt for the first time, he'd felt like a family, a connection. Yeah. And I had never, I had never had that. Like I'd never been that sort of into those dark places. And to me, it was kind of like, whoa. And he was so open and honest about it. And, you know, other people were talking about their feelings. And I actually felt like, you know, it's not just the usual Oh, laddie behavior. You actually seem to get a deeper connection with people who do jujitsu. It's like a primal connection because it's like a primal sort of rolling and stuff like that. So how do you feel then about, because something you did mention during the the demos was it's, it shows Casey's skill, but also shows heart and passion. You know, you do the shark tank and things like that, you know, where you compete against multiple opponents. But what do you think about gyms that don't do that? how do we get that sense? You know, are we missing out by people who get belts because they've been there for a certain amount of time or what's your opinion on these kind of gyms? Well, there's nothing wrong with just being awarded a belt. I I know that in some lineages, some academies, that's, that's the the way they do it. That's sort of the Brazilian ways. You, um, when you can hang with the blue belts, one day you're awarded a blue belt and, and, and there you go. Um, as somebody that has had to do technical demonstrations and physical, you know, a physical rite of passage, um, to me, I feel like you're missing out on something that is a very, very powerful experience. Uh, two, two things. One is you're missing out on this, this rite of passage, this experience, right? Because in our in our modern world, there just aren't a lot of rites of passage, and to commemorate that by having to actually, you know, in front of everybody, in front of your training partners, in front of your family, you have to demonstrate your skill. You have to demonstrate your heart. There's something very powerful about that that makes the experience much more memorable, I think, than just being awarded awarded a belt. Um, the second thing that I think you miss out on if you're just awarded a belt is that you will likely have technical gaps in your game Um, because we all favor the things we're good at and we all uh, avoid the things that we're not as good at. And I see it all the time when I tell someone, okay, it's time for you to get ready for your blue belt demo. You've got to put together 50 techniques to show. They'll look like a deer in the headlights. They'll be like, oh, Oh, I don't know. I don't think I know that many guard passes and mount escapes and side mount escapes and foot locks. And like all of a sudden you can tell in their mind, they're, they're thinking, I'm not ready for this. 
but you give them enough time and then they start drilling, they start preparing and they start shoring up all those gaps. Um, and then the day of the belt test, they're great. They do great. And every single person that goes through that will tell you that they made a leap, that that process of sharpening that blade takes them to that next level. It helps um, give their game a jump. And my game has never felt sharper than the day after I've done a belt demo. So I did a blue belt demo, I did a purple belt demo, and I did my, my black, black, black belt one. And you always feel incredibly sharp right afterwards because you've got this beautiful catalog of techniques that you've been drilling. And, and um, so I'm a fan of this process. I think it produces um, more well-rounded practitioners. Um, but I, you know, I don't criticize instructors that just want to award a belt. That's sort of the traditional Brazilian way. And, and it's fine. Um, I just don't feel like uh, it's quite as powerful. Because I mean, when I got my blue belt, I had to go through like a grading day. And now we are, my gym's kind of gone to a, some people have got them by time or, mm. you know, people have been awarded them like on a night's training. And I thought it kind of, there should be like a grading because to me, it yeah. felt like, I, I mean, I did privates leading up, fixing things I thought were needed worked on. And mm-hmm. it just, it seemed to take away that kind of, you don't feel like you've earned it as such, in my right. opinion. It's, right. it's it's a strange one for me. Yeah, I it should, it should definitely not be based on time in because everyone has different aptitude. Everyone has different life experiences coming into it. Someone who is a competitive wrestler walking in the door, they're going to be far and away better than, you know, a couch potato that walked in the door. So you, you can't, you can't base it on time. It has to be a skill-based thing. Mm. Um, I mean, I've seen the argument from white to blue, but I think after blue, it has to be tech. It has to be technical expertise. It has to be ability from there. Yeah. for progression. Otherwise anybody could get a black belt if you just stayed there long enough. And it's. Yeah. No, I, I was just going to say, I think that anybody can, you're right. That I think anybody can earn a blue belt. Uh, the blue belt is um, relatively straightforward in terms of what is required to be a blue belt. You're not expected to link com- techniques into combinations yet. You're, you're not expected to use momentum particularly well. You're not, they're, they're just, you know, it's, it's a little bit cut and dry. You, you just need, um, you know, certain foundational techniques need to be part of your game, but you're right to get to purple and above it's, uh, it's a completely different animal and you have to be able to turn a corner into an advanced player's game to, to get to, to get to purple belt. And some people, they never turn that corner and they, they just don't have what it takes to get there. Cause there is sometimes you train with somebody and you go, move, don't know how you got that belt you know i think that's the the bad side of jiu-jitsu it's the snobbiness sometimes of thinking well you didn't earn your belt you know yeah rather than the kind of just going oh well done and i it, that was something i really struggled with was the jealousy side of it you know i would mm. see people compete and I go oh, you don't deserve that and i go well how's that benefiting me that negativity yeah i should be pleased for everybody and thinking how do i get there and that's a part of me that really has developed and that's what i love about martial arts it lets you grow as a person but also it develops your kind of family feeling the camaraderie between people but for these sort of people who are thinking brilliant i want to train i really want to get into this how would you set up your life i mean i've seen your videos where you do running you're doing the kettlebell swings you know, you're talking about the strength to weight ratios, things like that. I mean, these are all amazing videos, but 
for people who want to compete, for people who want to train, but maybe the wrong side of 30, how how would you set up your life in terms of eating, the, like the right diet, the additional stuff off the mats? You know, do you bother with meditation, reading? Do you watch instructionals? What advice would you give to an older grappler for setting up a, a productive, I don't know how to say it, like a lifestyle that would assist with your jujitsu? Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of in terms of being able to compete, yeah, I mean, from just like person who uh, who wants to just do it as a hobby, and also a person who wants to compete, you know, how how would you set yeah. these up differently? Well, you the, you definitely would would set those up differently. The person who wants to do it as a hobby, um, you know, there's no real external pressure when you're just training for the fun of it. Uh, and in fact, I would say that even for people that compete, I think most of the time you you should train as a hobby, as someone that's just doing it for fun. Um, you know, plenty of sleep, good good nutrition. You know, personally, I stay away from sugar. I stay away from you know, mo- mostly my I, I'm. It's less about the good stuff I'm eating. It's more about eliminating the bad stuff for me personally. And so I, I would say that on a week in and week out basis. You just have to find a place where you're at peace with how you train and it's something that you can do as a sustainable lifestyle. Now, if you want to compete, you have to be able to sharpen that blade leading up to a competition. So you need to do your, you know, eight week training camp or 10 week training camp. Um, and that's a, a very deep question. How, how do you prepare for a competition you know, there are multiple phases during that training camp, uh, you know, in the initial phases, it's identifying the things that you're really good at and drilling those things so that you can implement your A game against, against them, um, shoring up some weak areas in the early stages of the competitive uh, process. If maybe your leg lock game isn't as good, maybe your escapes, some escapes aren't as good. You have to shore up some things. But there comes a point in time during that training camp where it's counterproductive to add new techniques, to add new things, and you have to just hammer the things that you know well. And then there's also a, uh, you know, physical, uh, you know, the, the the physical growth that you need to, to you need to do. You have to do your strength and conditioning. You have to, you know, get your cardio up. And I mean, these are deep, deep. Uh, questions that uh, there's a whole know, podcast on each of them isn't there yeah very very much so i mean that's something i definitely want to compete and i mean i know that for example i need to get my cardio up like i've done a whole uh, a whole episode of this with uh, rob bernacki and a few others i mean it's something that i'm really interested into and but you've had um over 13 years now and you know you've done some amazing stuff you've created your own channel you started your own gym how would you, what would you put your longevity in the sport down to? Is it just the passion, do you think? Or I, I think so. I, I, I think so. I, I think that, um, you know, I didn't beat myself up too much before jujitsu. I was not an athlete. Uh, I was a musician in my youth. I Later, I became a recording engineer in, in LA. Later, I became a software developer. And so all my pursuits tended to be sedentary. So I was in relatively good shape physically when I started jujitsu in terms of not having um, damaged my body over, over the years. And the rest of it is just, 
I, I, I guess just loving jujitsu enough to keep doing it. My wife, even to this day, she'll say, you know, I, I come home some nights and I've got a bruise on my face or whatever. She's like, man, why, why do you, why do you continue to do this? <laughs> and it, it's just, I, I love it. There's nothing has, it's the greatest combination of physical and mental challenge that I've ever participated in. I've done plenty of things that are mentally challenging. I've, I'm a computer developer. I'm a software developer. I've, I've done lots of things that require a lot of brain power. Um, but this is different. It's, it, it's a combination of physical and mental. And again, going back to what we talked about early in the podcast, which was the holy grail is that I'm pursuing is how can I be effective against guys that are bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic by doing less? How can I be, you know, get the tap by actually doing much less than what they're doing? And so there's this interesting pursuit within it. Um, and and I, I just love it. I, I, you know, I, I don't know what it, what will, uh, what it'll take for me to stop doing jujitsu. I, I assume at some point I'm just going to get too old uh, maybe I'll it's be it's really hard to define into it. it's just the the whole package isn't it it's the physicality it's the skill it's the competition it's the family feeling it's the benefit it gives to you i i try to get as many people as i can to train it and everybody goes oh yeah yeah i'll give it a shot but it's easier to sit on a couch but yeah. the benefits of jiu-jitsu just blows me away but how have you found that then from the training and doing your demos and stuff like that to actually being the businessman to also juggling, you know, your software, the, the music, having a family. Mm. How have you managed that transition between the, the, like the athlete to businessman to father to the husband? Yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm blessed that my wife allows me to do whatever I want to do. She, she's not controlling. She's not somebody who, I mean, she understands me, I think pretty deeply. She understands that I'm pretty obsessive by nature. And so, and, and people who are OCD, it's, it's a little bit cyclical. You go through phases where you're deeply obsessed about something and then maybe a period that where you're not. And so, she, I think she just understands that this is my nature and this is sort of how mm -hmm. I operate. And I, I don't know how, you know, how do you find balance? I guess the question you are asking is how do you find balance in your life? I, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer that because I've never been particularly balanced in my life. I, I tend to, you know, be a little extreme in my, my things. I pursue jujitsu to the max. I pursue other things to the max. And even if it means you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. So I, I'm just not I think, sure. I think this is like why I wanted to have you on because I mean, I, I struggle with OCD as well. And I've always, I've had sort of self-destructive habits. I mean, I've never gone like become down to sort of alcoholism or anything like that, but right. I've kind of, I kind of focus on things. And if I have something negative to focus on, like, like my mom will always say, you, you know, you love a drama. Whereas now that I've got jujitsu, I really wanted to push it. And I'm like, how do I how do I turn this into my style of jiu-jitsu? Yeah. And that's why I loved when I found the art of skill was it kind of made me think I can do this. And it opened up so many avenues and what I could see, 
you know, supposedly op- older grapplers will struggle. And I was like, no, so like I've seen like this amazing guy who can come in and throw guys around and manipulate and monitor, uh, move them and control people. And I was like, that's what I want to be like. Yeah. And to find out you had no sort of like, you know, before you weren't really sporty before you came into this makes this even more impressive. Um, but, but what do you want to take with our skill? Because your videos are amazing. They're so detailed and they're so they're so easy to understand and un- understand on a, th- as a, a deeper level as well and motivational for a, an older grappler. But what what do you want to do with art skill? What was the inspiration and what do you want to how do you want to develop it and evolve it? Well, it's so I had some things change for me in my my day job, my my other career. And so I had a window of opportunity um, to get this idea off the ground. And so the art of skill to me was going to be an instructional platform that seeks out people who are masters in their respective domains, starting with jujitsu, but beyond that into physical culture, uh, whether it's yoga, you know, whatever. Um, And so I had this idea and so the content on the channel right now is, is basically a prototype for, for what I envisioned for the channel. The problem is that I was a little behind. Uh, I got out of the gate a little slow. And, and then COVID hit and we, we were locked down. And so I had planned to, you know, go get some, uh, you know, I, I had two or three projects lined up that I was going to go film and then COVID derailed that. So unfortunately, I had to put the project on hold because I just didn't have the resources to keep, you know, pouring into it. Um, what I hope to do is to, to get back to producing good content and seeing if we can grow it into something. You know, the prototype for me is something like Masterclass, masterclass.com. Oh, yeah. Beautifully produced, beautiful cinematography that brings experts in the field. Um, only we would focus on physical disciplines more than you know other things. You've got, I mean, you've got a fantastic coaching style and teaching, and it it kind of just permeates in. You know, you kind of understand it, and the way the videos are shot and the angles you do it from, you can tell the skill you have in video mm-hmm. production and things, but. You know, you've got this great friendship with Roy Dean, and it's it's that the part of jujitsu that has been the biggest benefit for you. It's being able to build these friendships. You know, yeah. I mean, what would you say is what's the the proudest part of this? Is it starting your own school? Is it getting your black belt? Is it training with your son? Is it the ventures that you're planning to go on? Mm. You know, what's what's your motivations right now? Well, my biggest achievement was probably never quitting and and being able to earn a black belt at an age where, you know, there's not too many of us out there. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's been transformative. I mean, you know, Roy Dean is certainly my biggest technical influence. Probably 60, 65% of my game is based on what I learned from him directly. Um, and then, you know, the other influences came from, from other sources, but yeah, it's just, um, 
yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess my proudest achievement would would be earning a black belt and not quitting. And it's really not the belt that that matters. It's that what that belt represents, which is the commitment, mm-hmm. never giving up. I've had to take some some long stretches off due to injury and and so on, and and to be able to come back from all that, to be able to keep putting one foot in front of the other and and doing it. You know, I love teaching and having an academy is a lot of fun. Um, I would be perfectly happy just being a student as well. You know, I did it mostly because there wasn't any jujitsu in this environment. Um, but there's something very profound about having to teach every day. I think it it um, allows you to go far deeper into the technique than you would if you're just a student. I love that. I mean, you're probably still learning probably more than you would have oh, every if day. you just stayed. Yeah. Oh, every day. I learn every day from my students. Well, every time I will see a new video of yours come in, I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. And then when I looked at you, he had obviously just started the channel. I was thinking, how is this not exploded? This is amazing. <laughs> so I'll be going to be promoting it all the time. Well, I appreciate it. Right now, I'm, I've put it on hold a little bit while I, I I get some other things happening professionally in my life. and But ho- hopefully we can get back to that. Well, I mean, what would you then say? I mean, I know we're just coming out to the time. Oh, sorry, we're actually over. But what would you say to people who are either thinking about jiu-jitsu or older grapplers, what piece of advice would you want them to take from this? If they had to summarize at the podcast, what advice would you give to an an older grappler? Uh, Commit to doing it for a year. So anybody that has trained jiu-jitsu for a length of, 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 for, you know, multiple years, you will certainly see new people come into the academy all the time Three months later, they disappear, or six months later, they disappear, or a few months later, they disappear. And you don't know why they leave. I suspect they leave because jujitsu is hard. In fact, I had a student the other day tell me, I, I said, hey, how's, how are things going? He's new. He'd been training for three weeks. And he says, man, I, I thought I'd be further along than I am. And I, and I had to laugh at that. I said, dude. <laughs> Dude, jiu-jitsu is a very, very deep art. You can't expect to be very far along in three weeks. And and I, I had another student who's one of my favorite students now. He's a great guy. And he came to me twice within his first six months of training. And I could tell he was dejected and depressed. And he said, man, I'm quitting. I'm just not good at jiu-jitsu. I don't think I'll ever be good at jiu-jitsu. And I had to talk him off the ledge and and, and, you know, I, I said, dude, listen, listen, the reason you need to keep coming is because of, you know, the, how it makes you feel is what you need to get through, you know? And so he stuck with it. Then a few months later, he came to me again. I think I'm quitting jujitsu. I'm not very good at this. And I'm like, and I said, dude, you, you, you can't quit. You can't quit. Promise me you're going to stay. Just give it a few more months. And, and now he loves it. He's in all the time. And so I, I think that, you know, there's an old saying that the key to happiness is to not have expectations. You know, if you think about you go to a restaurant and you get bad service and you get angry at that, well, it's because you expected good service. If you expected no service, you would have been fine. And so I think that's sort of true of jujitsu. People walk in and you expect that you're going to do better. You expect that you're going to be better at it initially. You you expect that you're going to be able to prevent people from tapping you out. Sometimes people that are really good athletes in other realms, 
it's it's worse for them because they walk in and they've been good at everything they've tried and jujitsu is different and they they get tapped out by someone much less physically developed than them and then you never see them again they leave they, their ego can't handle it so what i would say to anybody that's starting jujitsu is commit to a year you're going to do this for one year you're not going to question it you're 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 going to do it without judgment. You're not going to judge yourself. You're not going to do it with ego. You're simply going to show up and just do it for a year because the hardest part is getting through that first year. Uh, and everything changes after six, seven, eight, ten 10 months, a year, everything changes because now you have skill to draw on. It's like you walk in the door as a new white belt and the instructor hands you a toolbox and you look in the toolbox and there's nothing in there. And then eventually through training, you end up with a hammer in your toolbox and now you're smashing everything with a hammer, right? And useful as a hammer is, it's, it's not the right tool for, for most things. Um, and so it takes a while. It takes that first year to get enough tools in your toolbox. You're not a master craftsman yet. You don't have a big rolling, you know, toolbox with hundreds of tools in it yet. You, you just, but you've amassed a few, you've got a hammer and a screwdriver and some pliers and you have enough that you can at least play the game of jujitsu. And that's the toughest part for any new athlete is getting through that first phase where you actually feel like you now have some solutions. There, there's four major positions in jujitsu. Um, you need a couple offensive and a couple defensive things from those four positions. So you need eight things. Those are the first set of tools you put in your toolbox. And it takes a little while to, to get those things. But once you have that, then it becomes much more fun. And I will say that jujitsu gets progressively more fun, um, commensurate with your skill. As you get more and more tools, it gets more and more fun because it becomes a game. Um, and so what I would say to the new person walking in is just give it a fair shot. Don't quit after three months because you're not a world beater yet. Just give it a year. That's a fantastic answer, you know. For I mean, I know we've kind of bounced around here, and this is where I struggle when it's I get so in depth into your stuff that when it comes to it, and I think oh, I've only got an hour right, and I sort of throw stuff out, and I think we're just touching the surface. And I think you're such a deep guy that there's we should definitely do more. You know, there's so much more areas we could cover. But for people who want to find out more about you, you know, sign up and subscribe to the Awesome Art Skill to come and train with you, you know, just to get more info on you and connect with you in social media. How could we go about this? Uh, the, the easiest way is to just go, come to my academy website. It's thirdwayjujitsu.com, thirdway, T-H-I-R-D, uh, thirdwayjujitsu. Um, you can find uh, me on Instagram at thirdway, uh, the thirdway jujitsu channel. Uh, the Art of Skill channel is on Instagram. On YouTube, it's YouTube. I think it's YouTube slash The Art of Skill, or you can just type The Art of Skill into the search box, uh, and, and you can look at some of the video that I've produced. Um, but that's the simplest way. And, and um, you know, I'm in Wyoming. My academy's in, in Wyoming. Although I have had some people visit. I had a guy from Texas fly up to train with me um, a few weeks ago. Or, well, it's been a few months now. He specifically he wanted to train with me for for a week so so we we do get people that that wander through and and come in and train and my academy's always open to new people we try to be as inviting as possible i don't even charge for drop-ins when people come in because we love having people to train with 
Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.